Hi, I'm Craig. And I'm Linda. And this is the Indie Travel Podcast at IndieTravelPodcast.com. This week it's episode 353 and we're talking about food and travel. Excellent. Yes, we're very happy today to have Tom and Megzi who run FoodFunTravel.com. Food is a real passion for them and it's something that we quite enjoy as well. I definitely love traveling and trying new foods. I think that's one of my favorite things about going out on the road. And in fact, we're very excited because we're in Melbourne at the moment uh, visiting my sister and her kids and her husband. And tomorrow, in fact, we're flying to Greece. So I'm really looking forward to eating some delicious Greek food. Yes, yes, indeed. Souvlaki is top on my list, but I know there's a lot more uh, delicious and sophisticated things. But gosh, I just love my souvlaki. Yeah. But before we fly out, we've been spending some time here in Melbourne and it's been lovely. We've been here for a week and just hung out with my sister and her family and went to the Easter show, which was kind of fun. It was a little bit tacky. We've been eating far too much chocolate. (laughs) Yeah, well, that's the advantage, I guess, of being in a household with a four and a seven-year-old. There's lots of chocolate to go around. Yeah, it was really fun. We we were here for Easter, so we helped organize the Easter egg hunt in association with the Easter Bunny, of course. And uh, yeah, the kids really enjoyed it. That was really good. At the end of the show, we'll talk about our upcoming plans, but uh, before we do that, there's a whole lot of delicious content to get through. And this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is sponsored by Stay in Cornwall. Yeah, if you're considering a stay in Cornwall in southwest England, this is a really great site to visit. Yeah, stayincornwall.co.uk has everything you need to know about visiting Cornwall in one place. It's got information on attractions, beaches, restaurants, and much, much more. Including food. And it also has a variety of accommodation to suit everyone, such as holiday cottages, bed and breakfasts, hotels, holiday parks, every kind of accommodation you can imagine. So jump over to stayincornwall.co.uk. And in fact, we've been using it a little bit because we're planning a visit there later in the year, probably the end of the northern summer. Yeah, really looking forward to it. Well, it sounds like the kids are home. So while we have limited space available to record anything, let's introduce Tomo and Megzi. So Tom and Megzi are friends of ours. They're an Australian couple. And it seems quite appropriate that we're talking with them now while we're in Australia and they're somewhere else entirely. But they really love food. In fact, they run foodfuntravel.com, so you should check that out. But yeah, let's listen to what they have to say. Hey, it's Craig here, and I'm speaking with Tom and Megzi from foodfuntravel.com. Guys, welcome to the Indie Travel Podcast. Thank you. Thanks so much for having us. Oh, my pleasure. Absolutely. And so for people that haven't met you before, why don't you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you get up to? Well, we've been running a food travel blog now for about five years, and we've actually been on the road almost five years. Probably by the time this airs, it will have hit our five-year mark, which is going to be April 10th, 2018. Congratulations. Uh, Yeah, Thank thank you. Uh, So the two of us have been traveling all over the place through Australia, Asia, Europe, uh, now in Mexico. And we must have done in that time, I think, about 49 countries in the five years. And prior to that, we did quite a few more as well because we used to work on cruise ships. So really, we've both been traveling since about 2008, if you include all that cruise ship life as well. And to about 85 countries, if you include all of those countries. So uh, pretty crazy. Nice. Yeah, I think most of our listeners would agree that visiting a country by cruise ships is a little bit different from uh, spending significant time there. It's true. But working yeah. on a cruise ship is quite fun. So uh, we definitely didn't regret doing that. It got to, you get a little bit of a taste, just like a day in one place and go, okay, this is somewhere that we want to come back to. 
And so we sort of spent five years going back to some of those countries and then living them, uh, living in them for like a month or whatever. So it, it was, yeah, it's a little taste. It's not really the same as the travel experience we have now, but we definitely don't regret doing it. Sounds awesome. Absolutely. And I think that's the, the perfect kind of experience for those kinds of trips, right? It's like doing a, a hop on hop off bus tour. You're, you're getting a little taste of a lot of things and using that as a tasting platter to go back to. Yeah, and we've definitely enjoyed exploring some countries uh, for a much longer period of time, places like Romania, where we ended up staying three months. And now here we are in Merida, Mexico, where we've been for over a year. So it's the longest we've been in one place for the whole five years we've been traveling. Wow, that's pretty crazy. I think uh, I spent about one night in Merida, but uh, that was not enough. It was such a beautiful city. Yeah, we're trying to spread the word and tell people, you know, a lot of the guides like, get in, get out with Merida, there's nothing to do. And it's like, no, there's so much to do here. It's an amazing city. The people are really friendly. The nightlife is really vibrant. There's so many restaurants you can go to. And it's, I don't know, we loved it here. So we were going to stay for six months and then it, it, it latched onto us and wouldn't let us go. So now we've been here for about 14 months. <laughs> nice. I know that feeling all too well. Uh, well, tell us a little bit about the food of Merida and the, the Yucatan Peninsula. Well, the Yucatan is actually very different cuisine from the rest of Mexico, although they have some common ingredients like chilies and tomatoes and pork. Everyone loves to eat pork in Mexico. Uh, the actual cuisine itself is more based off the Mayan tradition. So it actually has some of these different flavors that you, you things like achiote, which is this bright red spice that you add to dishes to really color them up and things like the sour orange which was imported from the spanish when they uh, came over here in the 16th century and that now is used to marinate meats so we've got things like cochinita which is like a slow cooked pork which has been marinated in these flavors the seville orange and the achiote and other spices and it's cooked underground overnight uh, using this special oven called a pib which I don't know if you should really call it an oven, but it, it's a hole in the ground that they fill with coals and then they cover everything over and they, they do call it an oven. So uh, it's like the traditional old school style of cooking underground, slow cooking. And that's, that's really popular around here. Meg's probably got a few other dishes you like from here as well. Maybe we should talk about them. Yeah, absolutely. One of my all time favorites from the region here is called queso relleno, which is really just stuffed cheese. That's the literal translation of it. And it's actually an interesting Dutch influence that they have in the region where they have these big, they're like the size of like small football, small football, a big softball sort of thing that uh, they hollow out the cheese and then they stuff it with this spiced mince and then they cook it all up with this beautiful white sauce. Uh, if they're being a bit fancy, sometimes they'll add some olives as well around the side. And it's just this really interesting blend of the spiced mince and the, the cheese doesn't really melt. It just kind of softens when you cook it. So it's still that whole ball, but you, you get all those flavors together and it's really delicious. And it's probably, I, I think I've tried over 30 different queso rellenos in the, in the region because I went, yes, this is my favorite dish and I want to find the best. Who's making the best? And it turns out the place making the best is just down the street from us. Yeah, very convenient. <laughs> we moved into the right house to be near the food. Yeah. <laughs> I love it when that happens. It doesn't happen often enough, does it? 
No, but it's good. We go there as much as possible. And every time people come uh, visiting us here in Merida, we make sure to take them to that restaurant. Because not only is their queso relleno amazing, all of the Yucatecan food that they do is just an extra step above pretty much any other restaurant that we found in the area. Yeah, and it's called Manjar Blanco. I should throw that out. So if anyone else is coming here, you can try out that restaurant. Uh, Manjar is spelt with a J in the middle, so it's spelt Manjar, but of course in Spanish it's pronounced Manjar. And yeah, really fantastic restaurant. So I think one of the, the big takeaways for us here, and something that we didn't realize until we came, is that Yucatan originally wasn't a part of Mexico at all until sort of the mid-late 19th century. And they say because of the way the trade worked with Europe, they were trading um, henequen, which is made from agave. They were making these ropes, and that was like this huge trade. Everyone became really rich here. People were trading more with Europe than they were with the rest of Mexico, and apparently there wasn't even a proper road connection between Mexico City and the Yucatan. You had to get there by boat at that time. So they were very separate. The whole peninsula was like a different country, really. It just yeah. didn't have the same ethnic flavor at all. And it's very evident in the cuisine and in the uh, the local people as well. So if you're coming to this region expecting, you know, burritos and fajitas. You, you can you, find them, but it's not the it's traditional food. It's not the cuisine here at all. Nice. Well, tell us, how do you go about finding great food? Uh, that's because, you know, it's it's so cool to hear about all of these different dishes and my mouth is watering. But how do you go ahead and find that when you uh, get into a place? We do like to find the secret places, yeah. that's for sure. So, I mean, I guess like anyone, we do occasionally use TripAdvisor for a quick look. But we've got a tip for TripAdvisor. If you are looking through restaurants on there, don't just look for the English reviews if you're going to a country that's not an English-speaking country because that's normally just tourists. Uh, always look for reviews that have been written in the local language and maybe you can see on TripAdvisor, normally it says where that person's from uh, underneath their name and photo. So if it says they're from that city and that's their review at the restaurant, it's probably a bit more of an authentic choice. So we do try to sift through the reviews and find reviews that are by locals rather than reviews that are by tourists. But we've got loads of different methods. I'm sure Maxie's got some of her favorites Also, as well. in this day and age, Facebook is such a, a resource of information that you can get. You can join groups that people are just passionate about the food of where they are. So you, you can just search through the groups and it can look up like there's a, a Merida Foodies or, you know, anywhere where you happen to be. So just look up those food groups, join them, and you can jump in there and ask people questions. Be like, where's your favorite place to go and eat, blah, blah, blah. Or we're only here for a couple of nights. What are the, next, the main restaurants we should try? You know, what would we be disappointed if we missed out on this? So uh, that's also a really good resource as well, using Facebook groups. Yeah, and I think we do also sometimes in some places, maybe not so much in Merida because it's hot and we don't want to walk around all the time just walking the streets, but in destinations where it's a little bit cooler, we will just walk down back streets until we sort of find restaurants that feel like they're they're very busy and it's not just tourists sitting there. It's the locals are eating their lunch or whatever. I remember this one time we went to Pisa in Italy and we were just walking back along this tiny little street and this place that looked like it could just be the front of someone's house. There were no real windows. You couldn't really see in. It was just a big wooden door. But as we walked past, we just heard this noise of all this cutlery clanking and people talking. We're like, that's got to be a restaurant in there. There didn't even seem to be a sign on the door, but we just went, well, what the hell? <laughs> we just opened the door, and it was. as a restaurant. There was about 50 or 60 people inside that restaurant, all Italians, no one speaking a word of English. 
And we're like, okay, this has got to be a great place to eat pasta. Sat down, had some ravioli, and it was amazing. Uh, just those beautiful little finds. If you, you listen and you are observant as you walk around these places, and you always take the back streets rather than the main highways and the main thoroughfares, and you can just stumble upon something that no one else, no other tourist is, is there. And that's, that's fantastic when you do that. That is, I reckon, in the, the age where all of those reviews and all of that information is so instantly available, you sometimes lose the serendipity of travel. And so I think that just uh, applying your, your feet to the footpath and, uh, and crossing your fingers that things work out can be a really nice way to have some, some interesting meals, if not always some great ones. Yeah, and you know if the place is really busy with locals, it's probably going to be a good meal. If it's empty, then you may maybe keep walking. Mm-hmm. Well, talking about places that are that are full and empty, countries and food. If I was going, hey, I'm going to head overseas this year and I'm going to go somewhere where I can eat amazing food, what would you recommend? Where are we going? We can't stop singing the praises of the country of Georgia. Uh, it can get people can get a bit confused because, of course, there's Georgia in the United States, but uh, Georgia, the country, uh, has an amazing food scene. And as it's starting to warm up, there's all these garden bars that people just flock to. It's been such a bitter cold winter; they all head out into the sunshine, and they've got barbecues, and there's just smoke wafting through the air, and they make really some amazing, amazing food. One of our favorites uh, is called Kachapuri. We're big pizza fans. And so this is kind of like a pizza. They they make the dough into the shape of a boat and then they cook that up a bit. And then inside that, they put different cheeses. It's kind of like a, almost like a ricottery kind of it's cheese. something that's more similar to cottage cheese. So it's a little bit lumpy. It's a little bit creamy. And that's like the main filling for this bread boat. And then on top of that, they shave off loads of the yellow cheese sulguni, which is, it's not really like mozzarella. It's, I don't know, maybe it's a bit like manchego. It's like a mild cheddar. It's just, uh, it's got that sort of very melty texture. So as soon as it goes under heat, it bubbles up. It gets those brown spots on top. So it's just perfect, just like a great pizza would. And if that wasn't fatty enough, they also like to throw a couple of slabs of butter on top. And they also crack an egg. So the egg kind of cooks in the heat of the cheese. And you just break off the outsides of the the boat and you dip it in, uh, almost like a cob loaf sort of meal. And you just sort of work your way from the outside in. And it's absolutely divine. Yeah, I can imagine that on a cool spring day, hooking into that beautiful, uh, beautiful heat of the cheese. Yeah, well, I mean, if you're out in Georgia, they have mountains all around the north. You can go to the wine regions. So you can actually be sitting a little bit higher altitude in the summer, and it's very pleasant temperatures, even in the middle of summer. So you can enjoy one of those with a nice glass of wine as well, looking out at some amazing green fields everywhere in front of you from the sides of the mountains. Uh, Georgia is such a beautiful country. We really, really enjoyed being there. And we ate ourselves so stupid. I think we definitely put on a few pounds. <laughs> definitely. I can hear some of my listeners just going, that sounds amazing. I'm going there right now. And I can hear some others going, Georgia? Where? Where's that and how do I get there? Well, it's sort of it's bordered with Turkey, so it's the east end of Turkey. It's south of Russia, and it's on the east side of the Black Sea, uh, which also borders Bulgaria and Romania. So it's that big area of water north of Turkey, if you're looking at a map. 
Uh, it's just north of Iran as well, but it's not bordered with Iran. And it's really quite a safe country at the moment. There were some problems with Russia invading there again in 2008. That was quite a while ago. I know there's a little bit of tension, but there doesn't seem to be any immediate danger to going there. And in fact, it's one of these destinations that a lot of people seem to have started picking up in the last five years. The BBC have been doing a lot of features on it. Uh, we've seen it turning up on food programs like Anthony Bourdain. And uh, it just seems like that place that now that it does feel safer, everybody wants to go there. And when we were staying in Tbilisi, which is the capital, there really was no sense with the locals or anyone that there was an invasion about to happen. It really, I, I don't think you're going to have too much trouble if you go there. But obviously, keep an eye on the travel advisory warnings just in case. Of course, yeah, always a caveat. Well, I know that you guys in your five plus years around the world have eaten some things that even I would look at sideways and go, I'm not too sure about that. What's your craziest food story? I think we've got a few. So I don't know. Which one do you reckon is the craziest? Well, we have, of course, done balut. We actually both ate balut, which is the 16-day-old duck fetus egg, which is really popular in the Philippines. They'll steam it, and they just kind of eat it like a snack. They'll dig into that, you know, like they eat a packet of chips. It's gross. It is gross. (laughs) It's like a boiled egg, and when you break it open – uh, there's a tiny little duck inside, which is, yeah, it's, that's really sort of sad. You're like, oh, my God. But then it's like, well, I eat a full-size duck, so I can't be that picky about it, I suppose. I've got to maintain some sort of moral standard that if I'm going to eat a regular duck, I shouldn't be telling people that they can't eat a tiny duck egg. And they love it. They really love it. And that's one of the things we actually both tried, but there are plenty of things that uh, even I wouldn't have a go trying and that was all up to Tomo. So we were in Cambodia uh-huh. and um, I'd heard that there was this one particular dish that apparently well, the Cambodians seemed to love it. I don't know why, but um, they brought it out on the plate before they cooked it and it was running around on the plate with its little eight legs because it's actually this furry little tarantula. And he was trying to keep it on the plate so it didn't jump off and escape because I think it knew it was going to be dinner pretty soon. (laughs) And they just throw them in the deep fryer and then they bring it out with some salad. And so, yeah, I had a deep fried tarantula salad pretty much. A little um, bit of hot sauce on the side. A little bit of hot sauce to dip them in. And it sounds really, really weird. And I think it is really weird, but it just sort of tasted like deep fried stuff. It didn't particularly taste like anything gross. It's not something you'd be like, oh, what is that? If you didn't know what it was, you'd just go, oh, it's some sort of deep fried crispy thing. I'm not actually sure what it is at all. But the furry little legs gave it away when you're looking at it. So you'd have to go blindfolded, I think. But I got through it. I ate the entire plate. And you know, it's definitely one of the stranger things we've had. I don't normally see the food crawling around before I eat it, that's for sure. No, that's a, a rare pleasure, shall we say. <laughs> Cool with that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so from, from the weird to the fantastical, what are some of the favorite foods that you've eaten? For the regular person, it might seem a little bit weird, but it's actually something we've really come to love since we've been living in Mexico. And it's actually beef head tacos. So they take the head of the cow and honestly, like nothing is wasted. One of the most popular dishes would be the beef tongue. And they, uh, they cook that up and put it on a taco, and it's actually delicious. Another thing we really, really enjoy is cheek. 
and another thing that they call sweetbreads, which is sort of like the uh, the glands in the throat. And that is surprisingly tasty and juicy. And, you know, I know people are probably cringing right now, but you just have to try it. It's really some of the best things. And we just, we can't get enough of it now. It's become one of my favorites as well. The the molleja is uh, the Spanish name for it, for the sweet and um, the sweetbreads. And so once they've they've cooked the meat for quite a long time, they take the entire head whole and they either steam or boil it, depending on which restaurant's doing it. They've got different styles. Steaming is supposedly the most popular, but the ones we've had here in Merida have been boiled. Uh, they boil that for quite a few hours to make all the meat really, really soft. And then once they remove all those sections of meat, uh, they will throw it on the grill and reheat it, uh, like on the hot plate. So that molleja, the sweetbreads, it's a little bit fatty and a little bit greasy. And so when they put it on the hot plate, it sort of crisps up on the outside. So you've got the soft inside bit and the texture. I don't even know how to describe it. it it's Yums. It's what it is. I, I don't know <laughs> if there's a word for it. It's really good. But then that crispy outside as well and the slight greasiness of it, I just, I just can't stop eating it. I just don't know what the texture is. What, yeah, it, but yeah, the texture, whatever it is, is perfect, and you just have to come and eat it. And don't be afraid that it's from a beef head, because I'm pretty sure most sausages and burgers are probably made of leftover beef head bits anyway. If you're buying them in a packet, so. and they also do say that you haven't actually tried a real authentic taco unless you've had a beef tongue taco. Well, that is certainly uh, something to think about. <laughs> you guys have just finished doing a massive two-part podcast series on tacos. Tell us a bit about that. Give us a preview. Yeah, we figured that as we were going to be here in Mexico for at least a year, that we should probably focus a podcast on one of their, their most popular dishes, and tacos seem like a really obvious choice. So we have been, all in the name of science and podcasting, going out and eating tacos pretty much every week. It's been terrible. Right, it's just, it's a struggle. Life is a struggle, but we, we make it work. <laughs> oh my God, the amount of tacos we've had, I can't even, can't even count it. But yeah, beef head tacos are definitely one of the most exciting. Uh, things like Al Pastor, which some people around the world may have heard of. That one's a little bit more popular. Carnitas, which is like a slow-cooked pork that's it's slowly boiled in its own lard for like six or seven hours. So it's just this soft, greasy meat, and they throw that in a tortilla. And Castacan, which is uh, your crispy pork belly. Castacan, very crispy pork belly, and that's a specific favorite here in the Yucatan. Uh, it's slightly different from pork belly that they make elsewhere in Mexico, apparently. Yeah, so we went out and uh, we decided with our brand new podcast, The Dish, is that we're going to focus on the interesting histories of uh, of famous dishes. And starting with tacos, we actually found some really interesting things about the taco. Like, it might not be such an ancient Mexican dish as people believe that it is. Yeah, this history that the tortilla has been around for a long time but were people making tacos 500 years ago? And what we've discovered uh, interviewing Jeffrey Pilcher at the University of Toronto, as well as some uh, local experts down here in Mexico, that actually there's no really solid evidence and there's definitely no written evidence that there was such a thing as a taco before the 19th century. So we explore exactly what that means in a cultural sense and what it means in an etymological sense in terms of that dish actually being named for the first time in literature and in cookbooks and, it, and that sort of thing. And we've 
ended up putting together a full almost two hours worth of um, podcasts on that because it turned out to be such a big topic. We had no idea that there was going to be this much information on what essentially we figured was just tortilla with stuff in it. We thought, oh, that's a taco. That's going to be the whole episode. It's going to be like a 30-minute episode, and it's turned nope. into two hours. It's it's crazy. But it actually was really interesting delving into this. And I'm sure it's going to be a little bit controversial because uh, people of Mexico probably aren't going to be happy that we're saying this isn't an old, ancient dish, and it's actually a bit more modern. But that's just what the evidence seems to support. And where can yeah. we find that podcast? Um, head over to foodfundtravel.com slash the dish. And you can access the first episode that's the pilot that's out. And there's going to be a full season coming later in the year, probably in April or May. And um, yeah, you can take a listen to that now and get a preview before the full season comes out. And then there'll be loads more episodes after that. Great. Tomo, Migsy, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I am off to get a very, very early lunch after this. It's been great speaking with you. Thank you so much for having us and uh, letting us just ramble on about food it's what we love <laughs> yeah but, but hopefully we can uh, make people a little hungry that's our plan a little hungry and a little bit more informed about the history of food that's what we're all about thanks tomo thanks megzi for coming on the indie travel podcast and i for one am getting ready for lunch yeah i'm feeling very hungry and really looking forward to our time in greece and spain yeah, and England as well. It's yeah. all coming together. So tomorrow we fly for the first time on an airline called Scoot, and they've started doing our long-haul international flights. So we're flying, what, Melbourne, Singapore, Singapore, Athens with them for a crazy low price. I think it was 400 New Zealand dollars each, yeah, that's uh, right. which is absolutely mad for all of that distance. But we'll let you know how we get on on the other side of that. Yeah. The sponsor for this episode of the Indie Travel Podcast is Stay in Cornwall. And since we've been talking about food, we thought we might mention a few culinary specialties from that region. Oh, yeah. Well, Cornish pasties are food that you can find pretty much throughout Britain because they've been popularized and put into a chain. They're a type of savory pie, thick crust, savory filling, absolutely delicious. But that's not the only thing that Cornwall is famous for. They're also famous for cream teas. So a cream tea is obviously tea, but also it comes with scones. And there's a great debate about whether you put the jam on the scone first or cream first. In Cornwall, it's jam and cream, which is my preference anyway. So I think it's the right way to go. Oh, yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> kind of crazy, the stargazy pie, which I love to look at, but, you know, struggle to, to get my lips around. It's a, a fish pie but with the fish heads poking out of the pastry at the top. Yeah, I'm very curious to try it. Haven't yet, but I think we should go to Cornwall and give it a go. Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, there's more Cornish food stories, information about restaurants and attractions, and you can book your Cornwall accommodation at stayincornwall.co.uk. Make sure to check them out. Well, with the boys home, I guess we better go and see them and then start packing for tomorrow morning's flight. It's going to be fun. That's us for this week. Until next time, travel well.